This is a Need 10 Media production. Welcome back aboard, my friends. Nate Kleber here again to continue part two of the episode about my career adventure. Uh, again, setting the stage on this podcast, again, why I'm so excited to be producing this and how I have gotten to this point uh, today. Uh, again, this show, it's about introducing you to jobs, careers, and work that many people maybe don't know about or how, or, or even how to get in that role. Uh, and I'll take you through how maybe I got some, into some of the roles I've gotten through. In episode one uh, of my journey, uh, talk through beginning at 15, 14, 15 years of age, part-time jobs I had along the way. Uh, full-time job I had before getting married and then uh, moving into to becoming a family man uh, here in Northeast Iowa. So without further ado, let's continue on. Uh, this would have been late 90s. Uh, leaving uh, the Boone radio station, KWBG, uh, was challenging. Uh, had built some good things there, had some good friends there, uh, and people I worked with. But uh, uh Plan to get married. Asked my wife to marry me, and uh, we got married in 1999. She took uh, a graduate uh, school position at the University of Iowa to become a perfusionist. That's a job we'll talk more about as this uh, podcast continues. And uh, we were there two years. So what was I going to do? My wife was in school full-time. I had to find something to support both of us after after getting married and becoming a husband. Uh, found a radio job at a radio station called WMT. Went to meet with a gentleman by the name of Jim Doyne, uh, and uh, he was uh, a longtime uh, broadcaster in the state of Iowa and uh, brought me in and uh, taught me how to sell uh, air, if you will. Uh, very challenging. And coming in the low man on the totem pole, uh, trying to learn uh, the radio sales business. I knew how uh, the radio talking business was, but as far as behind the scenes of how to pay for stuff, that was a world... I was not very well exposed to, and honestly, was not very excited about. And uh, that began a, a point in my life where I was like, okay, I was loving my work, and now I'm not. And was I making a little more money than I was in the broadcasting position? Yes. Uh, but now, we uh, had had more expenses, uh, was married. Uh, my wife wasn't working. We uh, kind of had some student loans we were living off a little bit, uh, and some help from uh, from family members. But... It was like, okay, we're going to get through this. Uh, my wife's school was just two years. We can do this. I can do this for two years. Uh, but learning the way I was wired, uh, and you, you heard all those jobs that I had since I was 14 years of age, I'd always worked. And I'd always gotten into work that I enjoyed and always had uh, interesting things to be a part of. And this was not something I was interested in. Uh, and this is one of, of uh, a few jobs I had along the way where I'll talk about Ikigai here through through some of these podcasts, but Ikigai is a, is a concept, a Japanese concept for finding your purpose. And when you put those four circles together that relate to Ikigai, it's the passion piece of you love doing the work and you're good at it. That was me with broadcasting. But the other two circles that come in uh, that tie in, uh, does the world need it? And can you get paid for it? And when you say get paid for it, can you get paid enough for the life that you're living or want to live. And um, I would say in the radio sales business, uh, the world needed it because we had to keep the radio station on at that time. So we needed the money. I was getting paid, I think, okay for what we needed. 
Um, was I good at it? I don't know if I was good at it or not. Hindsight, I don't know. Um, uh, today, I'd probably be better at it than I was then. I think I was a little more closed-minded then about the role. Uh, but did I love doing it? Absolutely not. So uh, that is when I really got into job searching and looking at what jobs are out there and how people got those jobs and the training and things like that. Hindsight, there was a cell phone sales job that I probably should have taken because that's when cell phones were just kind of kind of taken off. Uh, I wonder where I'd be today with that. But anyway, this is where the journey that we're on. Anyway, met some really good people along the way. And these are, again, places that I've worked that I met great people uh, to work alongside and uh, sometimes commiserate with, uh, it seemed like. Uh, but uh, ended up finding another job. I think I was in radio sales for about uh, not quite a year. Uh, I did have uh, my manager at the time, Jim Doyne, he did point out to me, and he saw I think I was frustrated. And, and looking back on this, it was very insightful. So I had started a new job, got married, and moved to a new city all within a week or two. So you compile that together, and it was just pretty monumental when you look at uh, the consistency I already had in my life with uh, uh, already living in the same place for about four or five years, six years, uh, being around some of the same people, uh, and doing some similar work. And now I was in a completely different uh, uh, area code, uh, completely different place, and we didn't know very many people. So uh, that, that made it extra hard, I think, coming into the situation I was in. So uh, through connections I made, I, I found a job at a company called Shelton Technologies. Uh, they were selling uh, photocopy machines, uh, and fax machines, uh, network services were just beginning. Scanning was just kind of beginning. Uh, had a really good manager, uh, Mark Hickson, uh, who was uh, a great sales trainer, uh, a great sales manager. And, uh, you know, I got into that, met some really good people too. It was a good company. Did well financially, I felt, because I think I had good training and was kind of given some freedom on to open up some markets in, uh, in eastern Iowa. Uh, but, you know, I was also doing something the world needed. Somebody needed those machines to do their job. So that was exciting. But as far as being good at it, I thought I was doing well at it. I enjoyed it, actually. Uh, but it wasn't something I saw myself doing long term. And, uh, you know, the day that I uh, went in to, to resign after just a year, uh, you know, I remember the, the Mark saying, you know, if this is something you want to do, he'd give a reference because he knew we were going to be leaving the state to follow my wife's job. Uh, you know, hindsight in that, and this was not fair to the company or to Mark, um, I was afraid to tell them that I would be leaving. I knew my wife would be leaving and graduating and moving on to, uh, uh, to begin her career in perfusion. And uh, the jobs we were looking at were not in uh, the area. So I knew I would not be in that job uh, long term at all. I think I even knew that when I applied for it and didn't share with it. Which, uh, looking back, really was not fair to, to them. Uh, but the opportunity came up, Richmond, Virginia, we were moving out there. And, uh, and that, uh, I, th I think I, I turned in my notification the same day I left, uh, because it was the end of the month, finished up some, some projects I had and updated Mark on where some things were at as far as some contracts and sales. And, and that was it. Uh, you know, we ended up uh, out in Richmond, Virginia, as we packed up the U-Haul and, uh, headed that way. Uh, you know, I want to go to that area and I, I missed over this in the last episode. But uh, I talked about uh, my good friend Kyle Kepler, who's the coach at University of Utah. Uh, he has an aunt and uncle that uh, lived in Raleigh, North Carolina. They had a beautiful mountain home uh, up near Boone, North Carolina. Uh, and his uh, cousin was living down by the beach in Wilmington. 
and uh, another cousin had a place in, in Chapel Hill uh, going through grad school. Uh, we moved out there one summer in the mid in about 96. Uh, he took a job in Park and Rec, and uh, I was doing an internship at a radio station, uh, WRAL Radio, uh, and met some great people. Bill Jordan, who I still is a is a great guy that I work with today, and he's the voice you hear uh, at the beginning and the end of uh, of this of this podcast, the donut, if you will, um, on the on the billboard. Todd Fisher, who was the program director at the time, and and Steve Reynolds, who was the morning show producer. Um, those are all guys that uh, helped me guide through broadcasting and see me some, show me some things that I hadn't seen in, in small town radio. But uh, North Carolina was an area that I loved and wanted to get back to that uh, mid-Atlantic area. And that's why we ended up out, at, uh, uh, out in Virginia. So as we pack up the truck and head west, and, and thanks to my brother-in-law, John Zeezer, as we head out there and uh, get moved in, as my wife uh, starts her job, uh, I'm like, what's my stop? And I would say for the first month, I didn't have a job. Um, just doing some uh, discovering, I think, after coming off of being scarred. My wife was uh, going to start making some 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 good money so she could support us for a little while while I found something and uh, started working for, uh, uh, applied at a radio station that uh, uh, was called uh, uh, Sports Radio 910 uh, WRNL. That's coming off the top of my head in, in Richmond, Virginia. and met a guy by the name of Mike Maniscalco, and that's another guy that I'm going to get on this podcast who's now uh, one of the uh, play-by-play voices for the Carolina Hurricanes on their TV coverage. Uh, he had a afternoon radio show that I ended up uh, producing as I was also running uh, the control boards for Richmond Braves games, Richmond Spiders games, things like that, and enjoyed that, uh, you know, writing sports, reading sports, things like that, and wherever they needed me. But I wouldn't say I fully committed to being in there because I was looking for something more full-time, something that uh, uh, can make some more money in and, and see some progress. Uh, again, in all fairness to, uh, uh, I think Randall Bloomquist was the manager at the time and Michael Clifford coming in. And, and I think of all the people that uh, supported me through that role at, at Clear Channel in Richmond, uh, I was eyeing something bigger and was looking at graduate schools. And when I was, when I was working in Iowa City, Cedar Rapids area in copier sales, and in radio sales, uh, was looking to see what else is out there. I remember loving sports uh, when I was at Iowa State and being around sports as a broadcaster. And I thought, that's the area that I want to follow is that world of sports. So I uh, had somebody uh, had brought up um, sports management as a career. Uh, and I thought working in college athletics, that would be for me. So went to Virginia Commonwealth and uh, visited their program, uh, Dave Marigie. Uh, who would be another ideal one. He was a, he was a sports agent, but also ran uh, Virginia Commonwealth's, uh, uh, you know, they called it uh, the Sports Center, but uh, School for Sports Management at the time. Met with him. I was uh, two, three years out of school, so was a non-traditional student coming into graduate school, uh, telling him about my experience and my interest. Uh, met a gentleman by the name of Tim Lampy, who again is one of my uh, great mentors that, that uh, I touch base with a few times a year especially when he comes to visit on his Harley on his way uh, uh, across state and his trips uh, every couple of years. Uh, but uh, he was in facilities. That's where I want. I thought I want to be in facility management, event management. Uh, started meeting him and talking to him and, um, you know, kind of getting the ways of that land. I got really excited about it. Uh, but as I got into that world and then applied for graduate school, which I didn't know if I'd get in after coming out with uh, OK uh, or maybe even sub-OK grades out of Iowa State and graduating, uh, was able to get provisional enrollment, 
um, and uh, was a graduate student at at uh, at BCU. And then Tom Shoup, who ran external affairs and athletics, uh, he oversaw the broadcasting and marketing areas and invited me to become a graduate assistant uh, in that world. And I jumped on it. Uh, got some of my school paid for. Had minimal loans to pay for that, but uh, it was an exciting uh, place to be. And uh, after being uh, going through graduate school, they hired me on for a year to be the broadcast services coordinator and also gave me the role to be the play-by-play voice for women's basketball, which also gave me the opportunity to to do some production behind the scenes in the television broadcast that they did, uh, which nowadays is, uh, is common, but they were doing video streaming back then, uh, which was unusual. Uh, but was doing production work there and got the call in to even uh, call a radio play-by-play for uh, VCU versus Old Dominion when uh, the regular play-by-play guy, uh, Terry Selisky, uh, had, had, uh, wasn't able to do that game. So uh, met a lot of great people through that program, through that department. But uh, along the way comes uh, Rachel Ames Clayburg, uh, born in 2002 in Richmond, Virginia, and uh, we come back to Iowa to get her baptized. That's that's my daughter, and my wife gets a call out of the blue to see if she's interested in becoming a perfusionist at uh, Allen Hospital, Unity Point Hospital in Waterloo, Iowa, and uh, we just had this girl. We had just built a house in Richmond, but weren't quite sure where the future was, and as new parents, we're like, we should be closer to family, so we did. So we, we uh, uh, she turned in her notice, uh, my daughter and, and Kelly moved back to Iowa, and I stayed in Richmond to finish out their girls' uh, women's basketball season and get the house sold, and, and we moved home, which brings me to another stop in my career, uh, about another month gap that I didn't have work um, and trying to figure out what my next steps were. But it wasn't without me planting some seeds along the way and figuring out what some opportunities could be, and the University of Northern Iowa uh, was a school that Again, my buddy Kyle Kepler ran track at, was going to become a coach there. He had connections for me. Uh, but I also had connections. Joe Contafio and some of their uh, connections I had at BCU knew Rick Hartzell. And that's another gentleman I'm going to get on this show who uh, was the athletic director at University of Northern Iowa, now the athletic director at Upper Iowa, and has been a longtime successful NCAA basketball official D1 Uh Made some connections to him, uh, some facilities people, other people along the way. And uh, Lisa was going to get an interview uh, for a job. And uh, about a week before I was going in, uh, or maybe even a day before, they said they just had some openings come up. And would I be interested in marketing? Would I be interested in uh, in development or fundraising? And I thought, okay, it's a job. I'll talk to you. So this would have been March of 2003. Ended up uh, getting in that environment and uh, got hired on. Here's another tip along the way for those of you that uh, take jobs or looking to take jobs. When they call to offer you the job, and uh, Leon Costello, who was the assistant athletic director uh, for for marketing uh, at the time, now the athletic director at Montana State, and that's another guy we're going to get on this podcast, uh, he called to offer me the job uh, after waiting about two weeks, I think, after the interview, and I said, well, when can I start? He goes, well, can you start tomorrow? And I said, sure. I had not discussed this with my wife. I also had not asked, uh, what, how much money am I going to make? Um, I was just excited to get going after being on the sidelines for a couple of weeks after moving back uh, from the East Coast uh, to Iowa. 
So, show up the next day and kind of hands me a box of stuff to go through and the rest is history moving things along. Uh, I know when I interviewed and was hired, I had a job and a half. I ran golf outings. I helped support our games and promotions. Uh, so, making posters and helping do ticket sales and, you know, whatever they do in athletic marketing as I was still trying to figure out what that was. And uh, I had a job and a half when I started. But as we went along, and we had some great staff there, and I continue to talk about that in so many of the roles I look back that I've had and, and reminiscing now of the people I met along the way and how important they have been in the work I do to that has helped my career or the people I know that I've made connections with for other people to help them in their career or uh, the needs that they had in their life at that time. So as uh, we're moving through my career in athletics, uh, we had some great success in, in college basketball. Uh, Greg McDermott, a good friend of mine, now the head coach at uh, Creighton University, he'll be another one I want to get on here. As I'm going through here, I'm thinking of people that I just need to get on and hear their stories, and you can learn more about the jobs they've had that maybe you've heard of, but but uh, what's the work really? And other jobs along the way that they had to have to, to try and get to that point and maybe see some sacrifices and work that has to be done to get to be a head coach or to be an athletic director, to be a business owner, that type of thing. Three NCAA tournaments. We built an arena. Uh, we had a championship uh, run for, uh, for college football in the 1AA era uh, with Mark Farley and the Panthers. And uh, I ended up having, I think, six, seven, eight jobs, I think, before I was done. Uh, I started listing through this. You know, I was running golf outings. I was doing video board production, group ticket sales, individual ticket sales, organizing game day music, marketing promotions. Uh, uh, our budgets didn't, uh, had, didn't have the opportunity to sustain spirit squad coaches. So I oversaw our cheerleaders, our dance team, our mascot. Uh, the, the plus there was we got to go to Florida. I got to take my team, my, uh, my family to Walt Disney World every year. Uh, when the dance team would uh, uh, perform down there and uh, got to meet those, you know, got to get, got to know those people. And those are, those are some young people that I still stay in contact today uh, that have went on to have some great success in, in many different facets. Uh, but then also got to do some PA announcing along the way that kind of, that kind of helped my uh, microphone bug, if you will. Uh, but a new uh, athletic director came in, in 2008 uh, there were some very challenging times, uh, budget-wise, um, and just where some things were going uh, with that job at the University of Northern Iowa that I started questioning my interest in it and my ability. And sometimes working 60, 70, 80 hours a week really strains on a person, but also can strain on, on relationships at home and in other places. And uh, got called into, an into the office, our athletic director uh, that came in, uh, Troy Dannon, that would be an interesting one to have on. Uh, I knew Troy coming in. He say he, he sat me down, and there were some things that had gone through. Uh, but I'm not going to go into detail. But I felt like there was nothing I had done immoral or illegal. Uh, but I think subconsciously I had set myself up uh, to try and find how I can get out of there. And uh, Troy had said, "You got 60 days to find a new job." There was some frustration he had, which hindsight I don't blame him. Um, and that kind of tore me apart. You know, I was in that job for six years. We had built some really good things and met some really good people uh, in that I worked with, but also that were supporters and, and uh, 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 advocates of our program on campus and off campus. And I thought, now what? 
uh, walk it up, talk to, uh, talk to Leon, uh, talk to uh, uh, one of the coaches, former coaches that was working alongside with Tony DiCecco, a longtime women's basketball coach at UNI, uh, a good friend of mine as well. Um, you know, what's next? Uh, he said, go home. So I got my car on the way home. I, you know, trying to figure some things out, pick up that phone, and I start calling people, start texting them. You know, are there any opportunities out there you're aware of? And in the 30-minute drive home I had from Cedar Falls to, to my, where I live in Jessup, Iowa, I had, I think, four or five opportunities. And I remember coming home and, and sitting going, okay, the world will continue. I, I will figure out something. And I did. Well, what turned out to be what I thought a one episode has turned into two episodes. And now we'll turn into three episodes before we actually can actually talk to some people that you're not hearing my story. But honestly, ladies and gentlemen, this has been therapeutic to, to look back on the work that I've been doing and uh, the people I've met along the way in my 25, 30-year uh, careers of work or years of working. Um, to, to get where we're at now. So I'm going to close that out with my athletic work uh, as, as I, as, as I uh, walked out of the Unidome and uh, was no longer the assistant athletic director for, uh, for marketing and promotions and all things included and uh, was going to see what else was out there beyond athletics and beyond broadcasting. Again, I thank you for being on this journey, and I do encourage you to subscribe and also share this podcast that's a job. It's on Spotify, Overcast, Apple Podcasts, and wherever else you get your podcast. The That's a Job podcast is presented by Career Adventure Academy. Discover the work you are wired to do. Live your career adventure. If you haven't done so already, hit subscribe to enjoy future episodes. Build your career adventure at nateclayberg.com. Production assistance provided by Bill Jordan Voiceovers. Visit BillJordanVO.com. This podcast is a Need 10 Media production.